Hello, welcome to Southwest by Northeast Podcast. This is your host, Stevie Styles, And with me, I got Justin, who I'm not going to say his full name to protect conf- confidentiality. All right, Justin, how you feeling? I'm feeling pretty good, Steve. How about yourself? <laughs> All right, now we got to act natural because this uh, the broadcast, broadcast voice is too much. Oh, okay. All right, so... In my corner, um, this is going to be the podcast where we, this is the debut, by the way, this is going to be the podcast where we drink and talk about music, review new albums that just dropped, and have a little bit of wild card action. It's going to be an overall fun time. It's going to be uh, exciting. We're going to get to talk about a lot of the new music that comes out. Um, Some of it good, some of it not so good, but, you know, hopefully uh, more good than bad. I am drinking absinthe ordinaire, and it is a French absinthe that is decent. Um, honestly, I bought it because it was a little, uh, little on the discount side, but I feel like it's a perfect match for one of the albums we're going to talk about, Flamagra. Cool. I went uh, a little more traditional. I have a bottle of Old Weller Original 107 Proof Canadian Straight Bourbon Whiskey. Old Weller? Old Weller, yeah. Is that different from YB Weller? I, I'm not sure. Because um, there's a know. classic bourbon. I actually don't know. I just know it's made by W.L. Weller and Sons. It's uh, a seven-star old bourbon, and it's uh, a little higher proof, so it'll get the job done a little quicker. Actually, I'm curious. Is it a higher proof than your absence? Well, this yeah. is a uh, 46%. 92 proof. So then, yes, my my uh, my Kentucky straight bourbon whiskey is uh, higher alcohol than your absinthe. Oh, snap. And plus, <laughs> I uh, dripped a little water in it. Uh, well, some sugar is the way to do it, right? Well, I didn't use any sugar because I'm cutting the carbs. Oh, okay. Well, on that note. Because that there's gluten in sugar. Mm, I don't know about that one, buddy, but... Which this isn't the, this isn't the uh, nutritional podcast. It's the podcast where we review albums. So, <laughs> what would we know? All right. So, we're going to be reviewing Flamagra by Flying Lotus, uh, California Sun by Morrissey. It's California mm-hmm. Sun, right? Yeah. And uh, a couple other ones, but I got a couple of news stories for you. Okay, you want to still so on, with the news? You ever hear of uh, Consequence Consequence of Sound? No, I have not. So it's like a, it's basically a music blog, mm-hmm. and uh, one of their top stories, and this is them reporting this. I don't know the accuracy of this, but a synth repairman, he was working on a retro '60s synth. So we're like, I don't know, taking it apart and shit, mm-hmm. and he got high on acid while doing it. Interesting. And so he, yeah, he noticed like a little white crust in the circuit board or whatever, and he scratched it, which oh, I guess I misunderstood. Synth repairmen don't use gloves. He got high. While, yeah, he got, got high. Okay. He, he wasn't. He, had he wasn't trip. dropping acid while doing it. He literally dropped acid because he was doing it. Wow. Yeah, from this relic, from the 60s synth, there was dried acid on it, and he was scratching it, and he was like, what is this, like, uh, battery residue or whatever, and uh, he had a nine-hour trip, and apparently acid lasts forever, like, if it's pure, and they think that it was acid from, you know, Owsley? Uh, he was, like, he was the main supplier in the 60s, like, he would hook up Timothy Leary okay. and the Grateful Dead and all the big people. And they think they think it's his acid, which was so pure <laughs> that it can like stand that. the like test that. of time. That's, uh, that's pretty good. So now 
my main hobby. I'm going to go from Goodwill to whatever thrift store. I'm going to buy every 60 synth I can find. Hmm. And I'm curious about how the S would have gotten in inside on the circuits. That's, that's interesting. Well, back in the day, they were just <laughs> squirting it everywhere and it seeped in. No, nah, I don't know. Okay. And uh, the second one's dark. The second news story. Um, so you know about Avicii. Who? Oh, um, Avicii? Yes, I do. Yeah. Do you know how he died? I thought it was a plane crash. No, he was by himself. Well, I know he actually very funny that you bring him up because uh, in that case, I think he just passed, uh, posthumously released uh, something. Oh, yeah, really? I think he might have had a because I saw him. He popped up on the uh, new release charts. I'm sure he's got a lot of stuff that. Oh, I'm sure his catalog is is uh, yeah. impressive. You know, cause nowadays you you die at like five years old. You have catalogs to last like two decades. Well, you know, very funny that you bring that up. I, I um, was made aware. Do you realize there's a uh, website? that is actually uses a computer algorithm to continue your social media presence after you die. That is creepy. And I'm not making this up. This is, I cannot remember the name of the company, but I saw an advert an advert for them. And they basically use an algorithm that takes your social media presence up to the point of your death and then uses it to break down how many words you say based on, you know, what you like to talk about, what your political leanings are, what your hobbies are, and it continues to keep you alive long after you're dead. Was it Skynet? <laughs> no, it was not Skynet. <laughs> no, but um, if, if you could figure, find out the uh, you know, name of that, that would be interesting. But, so is that it for the news? Um, we got a little more? I will write myself a note. What company is going to keep you alive on social media? And I bet you nothing comes up because I think you're full of shit. <laughs> no, that's uh Oh, no, no. So he he killed himself. He broke a wine bottle and cut himself with a wine bottle. And died that way. Is, is that really well, true, or are you just like that's that what TMZ true? reports? And TMZ is not always that far off. I think he was a heavy drinker, and he had some kind of condition with his pancreas or something because he drank so much. So it wouldn't surprise me. Did he die recently? I thought he died a while ago. Yeah, he died, I don't know, seven months ago. But they're just now finding out the cause of death. I don't know if they just haven't released it. You know, I mean, I'm not the biggest fan musically. But, you know, that's always sad when, you know, because there's people who listen to his music. And like I said, I wasn't the biggest fan. But I know there's people out there who are. And... You know, they are definitely negatively affected as much as I would be if any of the people that I listen to if they passed away. So, you know, that's always sad when somebody, you know, you know what it reminds me of people in a positive way, way. And I was just talking about this the other day. Uh, Elliot what? Smith. Because he stabbed himself in the heart. And yeah, no one yes, that does, does that anymore. And it's like such an extreme way to die. Well, I mean, I think we all kind of saw yeah, that. Yeah, right? if, it, if anyone was going to do that, that, it would be Elliot Smith. Yeah. Yes, it most certainly would, which is very sad. Um, uh, so are we closing up it. the news? Have we got a little more news? What are we doing? Okay. So since you were really a big fan of this album, would you like to uh, introduce the album? Yes, sir. So um, all right. this is Flamagra by Flying Lotus. And Flying Lotus, I, mm-hmm. I was telling you before, um, he's the guy responsible behind all the Adult Swim weird interludes that 
they have like some weird shit on the screen and they have like the trip hop in the background. Mm-hmm. And uh, I actually, actually knew him or knew about him other than that. Like I've listened to some of his music on like the, the internet radios where you pick, like you type in trip hop and it plays you a bunch of trip hop artists. And so I've always had a respect for him. Whenever he would come on, I'd be like, wow, this is pretty good. And yeah, I would listen to him that way, but I never like really got into his music. And so when I listened to this whole album, I, I don't know about you. I was pretty blown away. Um, Initial thoughts with the album. My initial thoughts with the album was that it was musically very, very good. Yeah. Um, you know me. I'm, I'm a big funk guy. I love the funk. And uh, George it's, Clinton. It's George Clinton makes an appearance. You know, I had to love yeah. that. Um, but that's on Burning Down the House that he's on that song. But um, it was just really, really good. Um, as the album went on, though, I began to kind of... It didn't have a um, pattern. I, I felt like it wasn't... It it almost turned into an album of just soundscapes. Little, little minutes. Yeah, little clips. And it, it, it almost was too, like, you know, jerky, where I was listening to one thing, and then it was taking me out and putting me in something else. And it, I didn't really get to appreciate what I was listening to because by the time I got into it, it was gone. That, that would be my criticism is that there's a bunch, half the album is one and a half minute little pieces that I, I started getting into and the musical ideas mm-hmm. were really cool. And it's just, all right, next song. And it, yeah, what the fuck? Why'd you end that? But it kind of makes sense. Like with the the society we have today, it's so short attention span. Maybe that's why he did it. I think his first and foremost, uh, Flying Lotus seemed to be. He's a producer first and foremost. You know, and yeah. when you're a producer, especially for that kind of musical genre, you tend not to write very long stuff. I actually, you know, it's funny. One of the short tracks that I really did like, yeah, um, that I wish you would have made longer, was "Heroes in a Half Shell." I thought that was really. Jazzy. I mean, yeah. it was. I like the way sax. I, I was really digging action. it. As far as I know, it, it was done. I loved it. Um, probably though, the song that I loved the most was. I'm gonna say. Probably more yeah. with um, Anderson Pack, who I really like. Anderson and this is, is going to be my point. The best fantastic. ones on the album are their collaborations. Yeah. Well, they're they're the they're full fully songs. developed ideas. Like, the one did you listen to the Black Balloons reprise? I did. I did. I like that. That was with. Uh, Have you ben, heard of Denzel Curry, Curry before that? I had not, but I liked what he was talking about. It was a, it was sort of social commentary without being too, yeah. like ram it down your. That throat. guy is talented, and um, after I heard that, I looked into him a little more, and uh, he he's like with mm-hmm. the same school as XXX Tentacion, which. I I respect because oh, all the kids like him. <laughs> I but uh so he's like he falls into that kind of the the trap, the emo trap like angsty all that shit. But uh he did a cover of Bulls on Parade that was off the fucking chain. And you got to check that out. Wow. I I am going to have I'm going to write that down right now. I'm definitely gonna check that out that is something pretty cool um and he's coming out with an album next friday oh so that hint hint (laughs) all right 
<laughs> nudge, nudge, wink, wink. It's called Zoo. Z U U. Z U U. Okay. Um, I liked uh, post record post uh, Um, what I really liked about that that just oozed Rick James to me. Yeah. Like I wanted to smack someone. <laughs> I, it, was, it was really, really, really good. It was. Um, it was a little more hip hop than. See, the thing I really liked about him is that obviously some parts of the album were looped, but there mm -hmm. was such variation within the loop. Yeah, the it, variation. It felt like, like okay, so the, you know the drums would be looped and the synths would be looped, but then the bass would be completely doing its own thing completely on its own right. and then and he looped the bass and the synth would do its own thing and I really liked that he was it it really kind of mattered. he incorporated two parts of it he incorporates a lot of melodic contour that I think you don't find much in hip-hop and he is like he's pushing the bounds of hip-hop he uh, was on I was telling you before he was on uh, mm -hmm. to pimp a butterfly and I think that's a perfect collaboration right there because Kendrick Lamar, he's pushing the bounds of hip hop. And this guy. It's so funny you bring that up. And um, there's an album that I want to talk about at the end uh, by Steve Lacey that really, it, it makes me happy. It makes me really happy. You know, I'm a big fan of um, musicianship, you know, and I think there's a real renaissance. I'm not going to give away the tease, but I think there's a real re renaissance in certain communities of uh, musicianship. And we'll get into that. We'll get into that later. Uh, I have a quick little uh, cool tidbit for you that you may not know. What is it? So, uh, what? What is it? So, uh, this album was co-produced by Stephen uh, Berner. Who is that? Who's also known as, who's also known as Thunder, as Thundercat. On the oh, album. Thundercat. Okay. Uh, yeah, to did you know did you know Thundercat was a member of Suicidal Tendencies for eight years? No, I did not yeah. know that. <laughs> yes, he was. He was a member of Suicidal Tendencies. Wow. Yeah, I, <laughs> all I knew about him, like he was in the Adult Swim camp. Okay. But yeah, that's uh, mm -hmm. that's kind of blowing my mind right now. This is um, this is Flying Lotus's sixth album. Yeah, and I, overall, I felt the album was really good. Um, more of reminded me of it, it had a very outcast feel. Yeah, I can see that. And then he switched it, and it went to like uh, my um, uh, wife actually bought this up. I should give her credit for that. It went to a very like Justin Timberlake feel. Yeah, afterwards. definitely. Like he switched, he managed to keep switching up the styles. He started out with that real soul, and then it flips. It goes to like that outcast Southern kind of feel and then right to like that Justin Timberlake feel. I, I really like that song. I thought that was a very well crafted song. Um, I'm going to come back at you with one of the factoids. Did you know that Flying Lotus is Alice Coltrane's grandnephew? And Alice Coltrane was uh, John Coltrane's wife. I, I did not know that, but I did while I was researching, I did see the name Coltrane came up and I didn't Think to chase down that uh, rabbit hole. Yeah, because he uh, he did some music with Robbie Coltrane, who's John Coltrane's son. Nice. Uh, and Alice Coltrane has pretty good music of her own. She, she's out there too, though. She she was a jazz musician, but she you know would do the crazy shit with the sitar and do stuff that was repetitive, but had variation to it. And if you listen to Journey to Satch Naida, um, that's a perfect example of that. And so I could definitely see the lineage. And he, I think he says that she was an influence on him. I, I could see that. That's, um, but even, you know, I mean, to say that, even John Coltrane was very... Well, oh, John Coltrane is another goddamn universe. I mean, think about it. I mean, we look back at this stuff now and we're like, meh. Let's not get into him. <laughs> I'll be here for two hours. <laughs> on and on. Who um, He had a release this year. Did he? Yeah. Um, like lost demos and stuff. And it's oh, so man. good. And it's like right at his height. And right at the peak where he 
got really sophisticated, but like really ex- like he started to get experimental, but not like get into noise where it's mm-hmm. just like <laughs> it was like the perfect uh the perfect height of just pushing music to its boundaries but like keeping it conventional. I'm I'm gonna need to hear that John Coltrane in the impression again. Oh the impression John Coltrane was so ahead of his time, he like developed the Beavis character from Beavis and Butthead before like three decades before Beavis was of age. Are you taking that away from my judge? Don't 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 you dare do that. <laughs> All right, we gotta get into the Pope of Mope. No, I'm sorry. I, I got some I saw some stuff to talk about this uh about Flamagra. Yeah? Alright. I, um, I really like the song All uh All Spies. I thought the drums on that were really creative. Uh, yeah, he, there are some good drum, drum tracks. He throws in a couple of um, like uh, snare rolls on it, and but he he keeps it rolling with the song, which always isn't the easiest thing to do. Um, I think he sampled Super Mario Brothers on the song Pilgrim Side Eye. Uh, I caught a sample, but I don't think that was it. Uh, oh, also, I should end up, you know, uh, on, I think on Pilgrim Side Eye, he had Herbie Hancock work on that with him. Really? I didn't know that. I mean, that's what it said. That was one of the uh, the songwriting credits. But I, I was really, I didn't think Herbie was doing anything anymore. Yeah, I don't think that shows up on uh, the the track listing because I listened to it on Spotify. He wasn't featured. He was just right, credited with like working with him on it. Now, I'm going to give you my, my biggest complaint about this album. So this album, I don't know if you know, this album started uh, with a conversation that he had with your boy, David Lynch. I know you're a big David Lynch fan. Oh, I forgot about that part. Right? And he had a conversation <laughs> with David Lynch about, um, you know, this album prospect of having this album that is themed around fire. The Eternal Flame. And you can even see it. Yeah, the internal plane. Well, you know, I think it's even in the name. I mean, it's kind of like a Shangri-La, Lamgra, Lamgra, right? Um, I don't know. That's a little bit of a stretch, but you know, I, I think it's very, it's very heavily flame orientated. Even a lot of how the music sounds. Uh, but I tell you, I was really disappointed with the David Lynch song. I thought it was a ripoff. I that's one of my favorites. Really? I thought it was a blatant ripoff of the gorilla's fire coming from a monkey's head. And I, right. I will tell you, though, it was definitely inspired. The whole opening dialogue was definitely inspired by the California forest fires. I tried to keep gorillas out of this, but... <laughs> you felt the same way. Um, I don't know that track specifically, but this whole album was like, it was to me reminiscent of gorillas, especially like plastic beach. Well, I think that just goes to show you how far of an inspiration gorillas have been or Damien um, yeah. Auburn has been. But like I said, like the beginning team where she talked about, uh, you know, getting the soot off the flowers and the sky's growing bright. And, you know, I think that's definitely the California forest fires that they've been dealing with. You know, but the whole monologue, I mean, David Lynch even sounded like, uh, I think Dennis Hopper does the read over on uh, Fire Coming from a Monkey's Head. And it was, it had the same kind of feel to it. And I was like, okay. Like, well, have you heard David Lynch talking cool a little bit? Yeah. I don't know. I thought it was perfectly. Well, yeah, because I just did. Oh, I'm not saying it's not. I just, you know, it is what it is. Overall, I thought it was a good album. If I had to give it a rating, I would probably give that album a... Uh, I'll give it a four. Three and a half out of five stars. So we're more or less on the same thing. I, I just wish there was... I wish there was more substance. I wish there was more development. Songs. I think there's a lot of substance, but undeveloped substance. 
You know what? I think you said it better than how I said it, and I, I would right. agree. That's I why think I said it. Development is the word I'm looking for <laughs> more than substance. <laughs> oh, you you know you're, you know you're better than me. Um, twenty you know twenty seven songs on the uh, track, right? Sorry, twenty seven mm-hmm. tracks on the album. Oh, I forgot. There's actually one more song that I really liked. Uh, Nine carrots by Toro. Sorry, Toro A. Yeah, who I had no idea who that was. Oh, he's really good, dude. He has a song out called yeah. Freelance. Um, for anyone listening, definitely check that song out. I would highly recommend it. It's getting a lot of radio play on college radios around uh, New York. What is it and, called? Um, really, really. Freelance. Freelance. Yeah, I was actually really excited to see that he was on the album because he's uh, he's good. He's very, 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 very good. So you want to get into the uh, Pope of M- Mope? The Pope of Mope. Morrissey. <laughs> There's so much to say about this. <laughs> Where we even begin? It's typical. Okay, Morrissey. I I have a couple of facts about Morrissey. Oh, all right. The first one I think is the most ironic, and I read this on a blog, and I don't know the full accuracy, but when he was born, when his mother was giving birth to him. <laughs> I, I can tell this a lot, but on, every story that starts when his mother was giving birth is usually not. His head was so large that he almost killed his mother. And that is not a he joke. He does have a big head. But, like, he has a big head figuratively and literally. Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> and I really, I really appreciate that story because he, oh, my God. This guy, he's always pissed me off, and I can never stand him until I listen to his music, and then I'm like, oh, my God. He, he's brilliant. He can be brilliant. I think sometimes he allows his persona to get in the way of what he does. He has such a great voice, though. And I, You know what? His voice is his saving grace. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. so many mistakes. There's another one I want to throw in there real quick was that this is ironic too. Um, he tried to work for NME. Um, okay. I, I forget what that stands for, but like a huge new music, music uh, new, review. No, I think it's new music entertainment. It's a British paper. And yeah. I, I had read it once. I, I knew what it was once before, but I can't remember. <laughs> so he, uh, he wrote like trying to work for them. He wanted to be like one of the, the journalists and review albums mm-hmm. and they tore this album apart. All right. So that, now that that's out of the way, where do you want to begin? You mentioned them. I, was, I was on that website a couple of times looking up stuff just to kind of get a baseline. That was my exact word. I was well, in the car we should just say, driving I home think, Steve, you and to I'm thinking like, what am I going to say? And one of the you, things um, I was going to say it was, was a chore. Is that the way it I could best was a chore it for you? Getting through the whole album. <laughs> there's probably, there's definitely one, I could see that. I maybe that two or three tracks that I did. That, like. uh, I got about through about, half the album and I realized this you could probably get which one not change. And, um, yeah I, I would say that yeah did you listen to Wedding Bell Blues uh, no I can't because I didn't I actually was so just uh, not that one that I, like that I one. didn't even bother to uh, notate it and that's- so no I did not I did not listen to that, no. I know, but I will, you know what, for what I've lost with Morrissey, I will go on and continue talking about all the other great stuff. Uh, that, well, uh, I, I read that he's descended, of, his parents are Irish, Morrissey? and they're immigrants, uh, and he grew up in English? He England. Like Irish? I'm not sure where he was Irish? born, but he's got that song, Irish Blood, English... Uh, English, no, something like that. But 
Well, I, you know what? What I'll say is, um, for anyone you know listening out there, if you're new to Morrissey, uh, don't waste your time. Uh, instead, and that, that's a little overboard to say, but instead pick up uh, pick up the Smiths because Absolutely. he's a lot better with the Smiths. I think he was better in a band because you kind of had <laughs> there was a little control over him. Absolutely. You know, he, maybe he might have got like Roger Waters syndrome. Where he just decided, <laughs> he just decided he was the man, um, and uh, definitely check definitely check out the Smiths if you haven't listened to them. Um, it's a little dated, it's a little nineteen eighties, but you know what? It actually uh, you, you know what's pissing people off precludes a lot of the stuff today uh, with the electronic so aspects he, of everything. He is um, a classical. Do you have anything else to add? And I don't think anyone can what's, debate what? that. Um. And so I don't know how much of what he says is true, but uh, he's he's aligned a lot with like far right politics and yeah, which I I don't give a shit about. Like I never. Oh, I guess you're gonna talk about how he was wearing the pin. I never read artists' political views, and for this I did because we we're reviewing the album. But uh, the biggest. A lot of people are pissed off that he's uh, he's aligning with right wing right wing views now, mm-hmm. but like he made a cover album of protest songs and covered Joni Mitchell, Bob Dylan, um, someone else that wasn't really famous, but was, she played at Woodstock. And I don't know if that's just him being Morrissey, being an asshole, just to get more attention, which it probably is. But then the other thing is that he got in a lot of trouble for uh, there was a Smith song where he talks about like boys memory glands in in school and how he wants to touch them. <laughs> and they said it was a pedophile song. And it's like, oh, oh, no, it is not a pedophile song. <laughs> and then on this album, he, he does. Uh, which one was it? Lady Willpower by Gary Puckett in the Union Gap. Which you, Gary Puckett in the Union Gap are famous for a pedophile song. You're uh-huh. much too young, girl. You get a run, girl. <laughs> the original R. Kelly of the sixties, and he's, he Lady Willpower, which is a song about like how someone's pressuring the girlfriend into having sex with them and. They're going to leave them unless they have sex with them. I thought you were not a pedophile and you're sick of this shit. You know, uh-huh. I'm going to bring up something that I don't know if this is true. Um, I, uh, my father's father, so my, my, my grandfather on my dad's side, he had told me once that, uh, he didn't listen to Little Richard because Little Richard liked to like to touch boys. That wasn't uh, what's his name, Chuck Berry. Uh, maybe they both did. No, Chuck Berry liked to film people going to the bathroom. No, oh, but that was uh, and and this is a man who was very musically like you know he got me into a lot of stuff. He got me there, Clapton, you know a, a lot of great music. But for some reason that sticks out what he told me. Uh, you know, a little rich control on the subject. But, yeah, but legends, I look past that stuff. Yeah, well, it's all part of the hype. Even R. Kelly. I I love R. Kelly's music, and I will not let his weird, horrible, abominable actions get in the way of that. Morrissey, I will. <laughs> <laughs> it depends on how good the music is, right? Yeah, well, Morrissey wasn't that bad as a person, but this album, the music was that bad. And I got to bring up, um, what's his name? Uh, Joe Ciccarelli was the producer mm-hmm. on this, who produced The Shin and Oingo Boingo. And uh, he got to start with Frank Zappa, but he made an album with The Strokes. And The Strokes, at first, they were pumped to make this album with him. And I forget which one it wasn't. It wasn't is this it or one of the big ones, but they they got pissed off and they're like, This guy, he he sucks. <laughs> and uh Joe Ciccarelli, he sounds great as an engineer. He worked with the white stripes, 
But who was producing the White Stripes? Uh, that would be Jack White. We're actually yeah, going to talk Jack about Jack White was the leader of all that, all that stuff. We will and talk about Jack White a little bit today, actually. The producing on this album is so bad. There are so many cheap fills, and it's like, hello. <laughs> I'm going to try that a little better. Hello, I'm Morrissey. And it's just like, boop, 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 boop. <laughs> I saw cheap as shit. I, I thought he was sitting in the room right next to me. <laughs> <laughs> well, on this album, maybe he was. Wow. <laughs> so what else do we have? But I, 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 I have more to say because this album, some, some of the tracks were a travesty. I'm, I'm, I'm going to stop you right there. You really seemed like, like you. Uh, really intimated to me how much you like that Flying uh, Lotus album, yet you really have a lot more to say about the Morrissey album. I dislike this album more than I like the Flying Lotus album. And that's I can it. see how that could be possible. Yeah, I can see how that could be possible. The The Morrissey album starts Morning Starship. That's the first track. And I didn't think that was that bad. I, I thought that was probably one of the better ones. I like the little... The little drum track, it's it's electronic but cool. And that's cool. But then he gets into the la 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 la. And what the fuck are you doing, guy? <laughs> I don't I don't understand what is going on. He, that's, that's he has a la 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 solo. And you, and you know what makes me funny is to think that um, at least when I was in high school, he had that little bit of uh, resurgence of one of the albums that he put out, and uh, people used to love him. Love yeah, him. he was like, um, I'm you know, yeah. he had like, you know, kids in high school were like, "Wow, this guy's really good," and now he's a joke. Well, he's yeah, he he was a great artist, and he had so much yeah. talent. And I feel like this album was made because he had to make an album. They're like, I I don't know how it works in the music business now, but it felt like an obligation to make well, this I album. would imagine that he probably shouldn't have had any uh, contract problems. I mean, he's should be more than good money-wise to be able to you know work on contracts. I don't know about that. Who knows? But uh, do you want to wrap it up? Wrap up Morrissey? Are you doing? All right. Yeah. And I just want to oh. talk about the last track. Okay. Because some say I got the devil, yes. which I, I think is the last track. That is. I, I saw. Um, Melanie. Melanie might be the one that was at Woodstock. I can't remember. But uh, this one sounded like it would be great for a shitty made for tv movie and you probably did not even get to that song because i wouldn't expect oh my god the wedding bell blues great great cover great song i probably will forget about it in two months but um that's the one with billy joe armstrong from green day and surprisingly he has like some cool uh rhythm vocal tracks that do not fit him but it was still cool. Um, there is. Uh, um, I, I'm going to let you know, actually, it's funny you bring up Billy Joe. Um, I haven't remembered that I had heard about this album prior. But when you reminded me about Billy Joe, I, I remembered that I had it. I thought it was odd that him and Morrissey would work together. And um, actually, I think he had a hand in producing almost all the songs on the album. Really? Yeah, I don't think it was just the last track. I think he had a. Uh, production hand in, in the entire album, but I could be wrong. It makes sense. It's two artists going down the shitter. <laughs> <laughs> and that's a note that I wrote. Um, there's another song on that album. When you close your eyes, it's a Carly Simon cover, which why'd you do that, buddy? But uh, <laughs> I wrote down that it's like, it's like taking an elevator straight down into hell. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, Days of Decision. That one wasn't bad. Uh, I wrote down, stop adding like extraneous music tracks that you don't need to add. But uh, mm. yeah, this album, two out of five stars. 
maybe that should be uh, the theme because, I mean, we kind of had that with Flamabra where there was kind of extraneous tracks that, you know, kind of bring out the whole thing. Less is more sometimes. Yeah, but with that one, when I re-listened to, like, some of the little tracks, Mm -hmm. I thought to myself, at first, when I listened to to them the first time, I thought you could have done without this. But the second listen, I I would think to myself, you should keep this one for another album maybe and build on it. Every one of the tracks uh, on Flamagra were good on their own in an independent sense. Um, I felt like some of them were a little repetitive in terms they just kind of repeated. What I thought would have been a great idea to do is kind of what the Who did with like Tommy where they use songs like that as an interlude between different parts of the of the opera because I mean this is in itself and he explained it as being a psychedelic opera. You know well, uh, those songs uh, act as, as a bridge, but I felt like the bridges were too long between the actual solid songs. Rolling Stone described it as a psychedelic funk opus. I would say that's appropriate. And, you know, like I said, I love funk. Gotta have the funk. All right, so we'll play a little selection. The big bang happened when the black balloon ignited. I feel the pain shoulder to shoulder as I was knighted. The night turns to day and my days don't seem the brightest. It's like itis. I want to take a bite of what life is. If the president fuck around and piss off ISIS, bury me in blueberry bills, jewels, and ISIS. That's connect from mind to mind. Lies are on the rise, increasing bigger size. Start to victimize when evil's idolized. Inside my battered mind, I have visions of being broke. A broken man writing words of wisdom inside these notes. Shattered and lost, chattering talk. Are you pouring yourself another uh, WB Weller? Yeller? Old Yeller? I might I might switch to uh, Pinch. Dimple Pinch. Dimple Pinch? Dimple Pinch is a uh, blended scotch whiskey, 15 years old. Alright, so what do you got now? Well, I've, um, I've actually, I'm going to make a note, I actually switched up what I was drinking. I went from that... Uh, Old Weller. I went over Old to uh, classic Dimple Pinch. Dimple Pinch. Yeah, yeah. I put that. I put down Old Weller. <laughs> That's a bad one. <laughs> I actually, uh, I'm picking up this uh, 15-year-old Dimple Pinch. I guess they're all 15. Years. <laughs> Don't say that. So, <laughs> Do not say that word anymore. <laughs> what Dimple? <laughs> no, the 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 conjunction. <laughs> but that's uh, a typical blended scotch whiskey just like uh, Donnie Walker nothing special um, so I'm going to talk about uh, what I did instead of listening to Morrissey which I was much better served off doing so I listened to a couple of singles that came out um, I tried to get a nice total run of a lot of different stuff I started out with uh, Madonna's new song Madonna? Madonna's got a new song. Madonna has a new song. It was uh, it's produced by Diplo and Quavo. No way. Yes, Quavo is on the album. Wow. Actually, on the song, uh, Diplo's just just a producer. Uh, it was actually they both performed it at the recent Eurovision contest, which for any of our listeners out there is like American Idol, spanning the entire European continent with like a mix of the World Cup, where they try and find out which nation is the best and it's just as corrupt and whoever pays the most money. from what I've heard. I don't know. I've never actually watched it. Um, Interessante. What? Interessante. Yes. Interessante. Um, it's got a really nice uh, catchy beat, nice little Jamaican dancehall feel to it. Um, actually, I, I, I thought it was a good song. I didn't really have a problem with it. I'm not the biggest Quavo guy. Um, not really a big Nikos guy uh, either. Um, I just don't like the style. I do like their producer, Zaytoven. He's top notch. Zaytoven. But um, definitely check this on out, bro. Uh, it was really, uh, it was pretty good. It was uh, pretty good. I didn't think it was that bad for uh, Madonna dragging it out. Anything you want to? What's the name of it? The name of this song is Future. 
Future. Future. Yeah. All capitals or uh, lowercase? Knowing Madonna, probably all capitals. She's got some. You know, some I'm trying to watch out. She might play in the future. She actually hears this. She probably translated the name to like numerology and then translated no, no, it back. No, no, you missed it. She translated it to numerology and then she translated it to um, um, Hebrew and then she translated it to Latin and then she translated it back. <laughs> the original word was probably like past. <laughs> Listen, whatever it is, it is actually a good song. Um, check it out. It's. Dancy, it's catchy, it's you know, it's a typical Madonna song, but it's actually good quality Madonna and I like that Diplo got involved. Usually whatever Diplo does is pretty good. He doesn't usually release anything. Yeah. Well, you're not the only one who cheated. Oh, who else? Uh, you You know the heavy? Ah, sounds very familiar, but I'm not sure. They're a really good band and uh, they just Popped out another album. I only listened to a few tracks, but really good. They're like uh, funk, hard rock, but modern, but not like not new rock mm-hmm. and new rock. But it's it's like very heavily influenced. It, it kind of on the same page as uh, what's those Zeppelin ripoffs? Uh, you have um, to be better, please. Please be better. <laughs> Greta Von, Von Fleet. Fleet. There you go. There That's you the band. Yeah. Not not as uh, not as blatant ripoff as them, but really okay. good. Okay. And then I also listened to the Stray Cats album, which was wasn't bad. It was a good little rockabilly break from Morrissey, which we discovered uh, huge in Japan. Mm-hmm. Huge, absolutely huge in Japan, and uh, hey, at least they found a market. I guess that's kind of like, you know, um, Megadeth being huge in Argentina. Well, Argentinians are metalheads. Apparently they are. They are big metalheads. They love all that. They love Iron Maiden. They love... Uh, Who would have thought? That's, uh... <laughs> I watched a whole Iron Maiden concert. Actually, it wasn't Argentina. It was Brazil. So I think it's South America as a whole. But they love too. I, I remember seeing their Rush album in Argentina, and it was huge. So the second song that um, I picked up was the uh, Rack and Tours, Can You Help Me, Stranger? Oh, that might have been um, produced by Joe Ciccarelli. It was good. No, you know, it was produced by Jack White. Um, it was good, but uh, it was Jack White. Yeah, it had a cool little sample intro, some very bluesy uh, Delta blues intro, which I thought was cool. I actually would have liked to see if the song continued in that vein. I've never been disappointed by Jack White, and I guess because I mean he's a genius, but uh, I never expected that much from one person, mm-hmm. and I, I don't put him up there with like David Bowie and you know the people that like really are something special, but I, I, I've never listened to anything by him that I was disappointed. I, by. I, I, I do. I put him up there, but I put him up there in a different game. He is uh, he's a blues rock guitarist and blues mm-hmm. rock guitarists have a hard time holding, to, holding a candle to guys like David Bowie. David Bowie and Sunhouse. These guys are innovative. You can only innovate the blues yeah. so much before it becomes David Bowie. And you have that pressure now in in our current age that if you bring back the blues, it's got to be, uh, it's got to be like accessible to mm-hmm. a listener that exists today. I have seen a slight resurgence though in blues music. Slight, slight where it's kind of the feel is kind of coming back a little bit and it's a little more okay to do stuff like rain wolf rain, like R E I G N. Um, rain wolf, that guy was off the hook and he was awesome. And all he did, like he had a guitar and, um, a bass or kick drum and 
he was phenomenal. He was so good, but he's disappeared. And I think that's because he didn't make it accessible. Yeah, it does have to be. I mean, I'll, I'll make a quick point on this, and then I'm going to wrap up the Jack White things on because we're talking about that much. Um, not that it's bad. It's just he, of course, what's the one pedal he brings out when he does this? Whammy. Oh, he knows, no. He's got to bring out the Digitech whammy pedal. You know? Yeah, you know, because yeah. he's Jack White, and that's his go-to. That's like his, you know, not not the whammy, not the standard whammy pedal that Tom Morello uses. You know the specific. I thought it had to. I thought everything had to be analog. No, with, with Jack, sometimes, but he's got that one that red. I forget what the name of it is. I'm kind of ashamed that I do because I've sold so many of them. Uh, it's that red. It's made. By, I think it's made by Digitech, and it's um, it's just octaves. Yeah. All right, so I'm gonna wrap this up. So the next album we're gonna review. Is Zoo by Denzel Curry. <laughs> or better yet, if you're out there and you're a hip-hop artist, learn how to play instruments. It'll do you a world of good. You know, nobody will ever, you'll never suffer for having learned how to play a musical instrument. I don't know what the main feature will be next week. We'll talk about that later. But I appreciate everyone listening to this the whole way through because we did get into a little bit of uh what do you what do you call that wormholes but i think uh we had a good we had a good conversation though so if you're out there and you're a hip-hop artist hire a goddamn musician and that is southwest by northeast some say i got devil some Say I got angel I am just someone in trouble I don't think I'm in danger Don't think I'm in danger I know I'm not in danger Some have tried to sell me all kinds of things to save me from hurting like a woman and crying like a baby something like a woman crying like a baby and all the things that I have seen qualify me for